Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And this week, we're taking a deeper dive really into the whole book of Ruth with uh, no holds barred on on Ruth there. Um, Pastor Dina, you have been at the helm for two Sundays now. How was that? Um, It's different because I'm not not used to, to preaching back to back. And I know one other time... In my time here, I had preached a long series of sermons, and it took a few weeks to find a rhythm. Two weeks is not long enough to find that no, rhythm. No, no, there's no so, rhythm in that. Um, and I think, too, you know, when 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 one or the other of us is away, I feel it. I mean, yeah. in the in the just things that need to happen and and day to day stuff. So, so it was good. It's fun. Uh, Preaching to me always feels like a wrestling match in that when it, when it's over, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad and proud and can see the hand of God in the midst of it. But sometimes in the midst of it, it, it feels like a wrestling match <laughs> trying to figure out where, where is the good news in this? Where is the application? Like what is, what is, what did it mean when it was written what are the applications for us today and yeah. how do you get from one to the other? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, I've, I've seen diagrams of like a, a, a double bridge where the first span is from the, the context to the meaning and the second span is from the meaning to the present day. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, it's, uh, should we call you Israel? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> for you have wrestled. Rest, wrestling with God. Yeah. We preached on him a couple weeks ago. We did. We did. You can go back and listen to that. If yeah. Um, so uh, Ruth is one of those Old Testament names that I think we recognize, but we don't necessarily know what to do with or mm-hmm. kind of um, don't remember what she was all about. So, uh, you know, why should we read the book of Ruth? What uh, what does Ruth teach us both generally and from from your specific passage? I mean, generally, she's a picture of of self-sacrificial faithfulness to Yahweh before she even really fully understood who Yahweh was. Um, she, she was so concerned with the people around her that she was willing to give up her whole future to to help support and love and stay with Naomi and as we think about relationships, as we think about that that pillar of who our church is called to be, I think I think this relationship is really exemplary because really both Naomi and Ruth show that kind of sacrificial care. Naomi in trying to release Ruth and Orpah from their obligation to her, and Ruth saying, "No, you know, I, I'm I'm committed to you. I I love you." And, and I commit to being with you even if, or even all the way till death. And, and if I don't keep this promise, may, may God treat me harshly, which are pretty big words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just to clarify here, when we use Yahweh, uh, we use that far more when we're talking about the Old Testament. It's mm-hmm. a, for a lot of churchgoers, that can be a kind of a foreign term, but really just the covenantal name of God. Yes. Yeah. And I think... I tend to use it more because I think that that sets Yahweh, the God of Israel, 
apart from all the other gods that we talk about mm. because we use that term god so much especially again in the old testament where where there were so many gods and so many um individual tribal gods and then then bigger gods and then you have the roman and the greek gods at play too all in this this um in the in the history and the context of it and so the fact that we know god's name as yahweh sets the god of israel apart from all these other gods so yeah. don't be afraid of the term it's just a it's, yeah it's just a a proper name a covenantal yeah. name as is said so um so ruth is this great example of of faithfulness and of course the the issue with ruth being that she is from moab um and uh we don't appreciate probably the ethnic distinctions quite as much as as they would have yeah moab was not a good place and it didn't have a good reputation all the way from the beginning of the history of uh, history of israel the moabites moabites had tried to curse israel when the when there was intermixing it did not go well for the israelites and foreign gods were brought in and and women were attacked children were sacrificed like it was it was not <laughs> a good place bad, to be yeah. and even in their origins so moab and ammon are are two countries that were formed by um lot and mm -hmm. his daughters mm -hmm. so it was an incestuous relationship with his daughters yeah that caused these two countries to come about yeah so sin was woven into their fabric from the very beginning and and so and god had warned them at different points to not mix with the moabites not mix with these people to stay separate and yet here we are with ruth and and naomi with naomi and elimelech going to moab like willingly leaving their home with their sons and going into this place that is not going to turn out well. So we generally think of diversity as a, as a good thing. It's mm -hmm. a, that's a, a much more modern concept. And so um, when we read that, that Elimelech and Naomi leave Bethlehem to go find food in a foreign land, this time, this instance, Moab, we really shouldn't be just thinking, well, they, they got to do what they got to do. Yeah. Um, but this is this is actually not just a a physical moving, but it's a spiritual abandonment. Yeah, it it is. It's an admission that God isn't providing, and they're seeking other other sources of of provision outside of of what God has commanded to them. Sure, and that's that's funny because uh, I brought up in in in. Um, as I listened to your sermon and I brought up here right before we hit record, Elimelech's name means my God is king. Yeah. Which is kind of a funny thing to be like, my God is king and I'm going to move over there to find some food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to leave that God and the people of that God in order to preserve myself, which that I, I think that self-preservation is a, is a part of it rather than trusting that God would provide even in the midst of famine and, and, we're not told in the middle of this story why Elimelech died, why their sons died, but famine is a result often in scripture of the people's unfaithfulness to God. Mm. And so rather than looking at what in their lives needed to change 
to be more faithful, to be, to trust this God that called them and, and said, you will be my people instead of looking at, at that, what they needed to change. They just changed their location and abandoned mm. what, what had been. So, so they go into this foreign land and sure they have physical food now, but Naomi was hit with a completely different kind of famine as, as her whole family, her whole, um, all of her sources of protection and provision are, are wiped out and she is now a widow and she is without her sons and left with these two daughter-in-law daughters-in-law to whom she's obligated to care for and has no way of doing so. So we, we've got a, a couple of things here that, you, you know, first of all, the, the, um, the term leverite would come into play mm-hmm. leverite being the marriage, the type of marriage where you would. So if Naomi, uh, as, as Elimelech died, Naomi would marry Elimelech's brother in order to perpetuate the family name basically, mm-hmm. but that isn't an option. And even uh, Malin and uh, uh, Killian, I think Killian, yeah. uh, are are wiped out, and so the line can't continue below her either. Yeah. Not only does Naomi not have any resources, but Ruth and Orpa don't have any resources either. And it is interesting because Ruth, because Naomi says, "I don't have any family members for you," and then they go back to her hometown, and turns out there are some family members that that can be called in in this situation. But I think I envision someone who's just so overwhelmed by grief that they can't possibly see any solution to this problem. And, and we see that in Naomi over and over again when she says the, the Almighty has made the, my life very bitter. So call me, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Even in the very beginning of the story, she says to her daughters-in-law, you know, it's it's worse for me than it is for you. The Lord has turned against me. So she's just so caught up in her grief that she can't see any of God's provision. And again, I think that's probably evidence of the famine, of the sinfulness, of the lack of of spiritual direction and guidance and and connection with God in their life at this time because the two often go hand in hand as you've mentioned before, and as we see throughout scripture, that famine often accompanies disobedience. It, it accompanies a disconnection from God. So uh, a couple of things here. First of all, you, you, um, you pointed out that from the very first verse, this is set in the period of the judges. And so uh, very much uh, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we can see the the pattern in which they um, there's unfaithfulness and as a result, there are covenant curses that are coming down on the people and, and preventing them from having plenty. Yeah. Um, but as well, uh, thinking about Naomi and thinking about going back, because you raised an interesting point with the fact that, that Naomi said, there's no one there for you mm-hmm. um, and there's no one there for me. Do you think that, uh, yes, uh, she has some people there still, but do you think that's her reflecting on I, I cut ties and, and left for Moab and, and mm, I may not have any, I, there may be people, but they may not want me anymore. Yeah. And, and they may not have wanted Ruth either because she was a Moabite. And so to mm. take a Moabite into Israel was just as bad as, as Naomi and Elimelech leaving in the first place that 
um, yeah, I'm sure there was a, a part of her that thought, do I even, do I even have a family anymore? Will they even want me after I've abandoned them and abandoned our people and moved away? And, uh, and we can, I think we can all envision times and situations where, where people have said, I'm leaving my family behind and then a family or a group of friends or someone saying, well, you left, like you broke mm. the relationship. So sorry, but you're, you, you no longer have a place here. Um, it feels really harsh to say that, but. But I think there, it, like even in modern context, we, I think we have those fears anytime yeah. that there's, that there is a break, you know, that if we're the, if we're the, the prodigal son, so to speak, who has gone out and spent the family fortune or who has said forget mm-hmm. you and left part of the family or you know i think we have this fear that failure is final and i'm actually going to deal with that in in the sermon coming up this week okay but uh, i think we have this fear that that failure is final yeah. and like there is not actually grace and we get it i mean there's definitely a part of me when relationships are broken where i say hey you broke the relationship buddy you 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 did this so you made your bed now lie in it sorry you left your family now you don't have a family to come back to it's also been a long time um we're told that they went to moab the whole family of four naomi elimelech mahalan and kilian and then elimelech died we don't know how long and Naomi was left with her two sons. Then they married two women. And then, and after they had lived together for 10 years with these women, then they died. If I'm, if I'm getting that yeah, time right. Yeah, I think you're right. getting that. So it's at minimum 10 years. Yeah. You know, if, if Elimelech died the minute they stepped foot into Moab. And it's probably longer than that. So maybe by saying... I don't have family there. She truly didn't know who she had left during a famine. Sure. She, she truly didn't know what awaited her when she returned. The reason she returned was she had heard, she had heard that the Lord had been gracious to the people there. She heard that provision had come back. And that was actually something that hit the cutting room floor. The last verse of this passage that I read says that, um, they were arriving in Bethlehem. Naomi and Ruth were arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So they left in in famine and they come back just on the cusp of of provision. But we're not given the story of what, how long it took to get to that time of harvest while they were gone. We don't know what, what was happening in Israel with yeah. the famine during this time where Naomi and Ruth and Orpah were in Moab. So so she may really not have have known what awaited her yeah. when she came back. Yeah. Will will anyone even remember me at this point? Yeah. because um, ten years of ten years of difficult life, you, you kinda wonder if I mean, you leave an area for a while and you wonder, will anyone remind remember me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean we we still see that today when you only see people at Weddings and funerals, you know, 15 years down the road, someone says, I'm your cousin. Okay, sure, if you say so, you know. <laughs> we met at your wedding. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there's, so there are some genuine questions. There may be some some emotional baggage questions that are going on there. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that we can take from that, that, like, if we are to be the people of God, and, and Ruth really demonstrates this 
in a good way. She's not afraid to re-engage. She's not afla- afraid to claim mm-hmm. both God and the, the people of God. Because she says outright, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Yeah. And she she said that knowing full well that she is not, there was no prosperity gospel in the midst of that. She said that knowing that by saying that she was committing to a really hard life, the life of a foreigner, the life of a widow, um, of an orphan, someone who had no people, someone who would be dependent on what others missed in their fields for her to get any kind of food at all. Yeah. So she knew full well what she was signing on, on for, and yet she did it with such faith and such conviction that that Naomi relented and said, okay, you know, actually she didn't say anything. She just stops talking. She, she stopped objecting. Yeah. I, I had shared with you before I know. It, it kind of gave me the, the image from Shrek of Shrek and Donkey where where Donkey just goes along for the ride. Not invited, <laughs> not really wanted, but just there cause, because he's so faithful to Shrek because he is showing what a committed friendship looks like. And, and I think Ruth really does that too. Yeah. So, it, I mean, that, that brings up the question in, in terms of application, we're talking about, you know, a community that is, um, you know, we're, we're talking about going back and facing um, potential baggage. We're talking about claiming God in a way that, um, in a way that, that accepts everything that goes with it mm-hmm. um, and, and wants to be a part of the people of God. Um, and we're talking about people who, uh, because of their faith, namely Ruth, that she has, because of her faithfulness to both Yahweh and Naomi, she, she is willing to give up and to support and to, to help out. And so what, the question becomes, is this the vision of the church currently? And, and, or what would it look like if the church lived into this level of faithfulness and this level of, of interdependence? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it would be pretty mind blowing. I think, yeah, I kind of as I said in the end, when we love each other that way, that that Hesed way, that way that is attributed to God, that that loyal and faithful and kind and generous kind of love, the world would notice that. Like that's not the way. That's not the way we're we're taught to love. I mean, we're taught to by the world around us, you know, we're taught to think about what another person can can do for you and how your relationship works together and and this is this is saying even if it's a detriment detriment to to me, I'm going to love you and stay with you. And I think as the church we definitely have that that perspective of what can you bring to the church? You know, people aren't even mm. in the door before we start asking them to support us financially and to... Join the choir. Help, yeah, to join all these things. that's not a knock. It's to, just the, the number one thing where, like, people are like, the choir's an innocuous thing. Join yeah. the choir. Yeah, and and so that we're not slamming the church, it's not, it's not unique to the church. Like, those no. are the kinds of relationships that we have, and, and whether it's 
the PTO or the local sports board or the, a civic organization or the scouting organization. It, it's this idea of, okay, you want to benefit from us, so what can you give us in return? How can you help out? How can you pull your weight? You know, we often phrase it as, you know, doing your part. And yet this kind of love, this kind of generosity and care is, is Ruth saying to Naomi, you cannot do your part for me. You can you cannot support me. You cannot provide for me. But that's not enough for me to break my relationship with you. And so, yeah, I like I said at the beginning, I think we have so much to learn from this relationship as we think about the church and as we think about what it it means to have relationship as one of the pillars of our church and what it means to constantly be looking with the eyes of of what is good for the people around me, not just what is good for me, what satisfies my needs, my wants, my likes, my my different preferences, but what what is helpful, what is what does the other person need? I I mean, and I say that in knowing that that's that's the ideal, but also, you know, even as I say it, that's exhausting. Yeah. And and really hard to constantly be putting yourself second and yet that's that's what Paul calls us to do that's what Jesus did that's the kind of love that that was demonstrated for us on the cross yeah and yet shouldn't you know that should that should be the love that characterizes the church and the people of God but much like Israel all throughout its history we we <laughs> mess it up on the regular so yeah. Are you saying that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or something something like that? that. No. And and so that's, I mean, that would very much would be, I can hear people saying that sounds exhausting. Mm -hmm. Like I can barely keep my own life together. Um, How could I possibly put others in front of me? Because I mean, I got to take care of my kids and I've got to pick up my house and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, kind of very much the put your own, put your own um mask on first yeah in an airplane and then choose the person with the highest earning potential around you and put theirs on next yeah (laughs) yeah and you know as you're saying those things I'm thinking about the the emphasis on self-care and and such and all those are important too and I think that's what makes it so hard like where where does being a servant and loving each other sacrificially and 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 being taken advantage of begin and where how do we draw boundaries and that's i think what's so exhausting is to try and figure out how to keep all of these things in balance to love the way jesus loved but also to not be completely overrun and overwhelmed so that we're good for nothing and and to no one yeah well that i mean you're bringing this up and and there very much is an issue in like we can't just give 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 Mm -hmm. um and and we can't do that because uh, you know or excuse me um ruth doesn't just claim uh doesn't just claim naomi but she claims god as well she claims Mm -hmm. yahweh as well and so um there must have been something in seeing the worship of yahweh over the years something Mm -hmm. in uh, she must have gone through at least 10 Passover rituals and so on, where she was really connected to who God was. And 
uh, and who God is and, Mm -hmm. and really found strength in that and found the ability to minister then to, to Naomi, not out of her own strength, but out of this faith in the God who saw Israel in their time of need then, and she must have concluded, sees Israel in their time of need now. Yeah. And I think there had to, despite the picture we get of Naomi, I know several commentators drew out that there must have been something in Naomi's worship of of Yahweh that helped to convince Ruth that this was a good and faithful God. Because really all Ruth knew of Naomi's life was loss. It was famine. It was leaving behind everything. It was loss of a husband. It was loss of two sons. I mean, from, you know, from a a basic perspective, like who would want to worship a God like that, that just took everything (laughs) away. And yet something in, in Naomi proved to Ruth and, and something in, in Yahweh's very presence proved to Ruth that this is still a God worth loving and following and worshiping. Even a God who who would declare her categorically as persona non grata, mm-hmm. um, as being a Moabite. Yeah. So, and yet she could still love that God because she saw the heart of, of who Yahweh was. Yeah, and I think, and I know we have brought this up over the podcast, but I think that that really is the wisdom for us today that as we deal with conflicts, as we deal with trauma, as we deal with grief, as we deal with loss, how do we live in such a way that speaks to the world, my God is still worthy to be worshipped, even though my heart is broken, even though these things that I've care, I care so deeply for have been taken away. There's still something, the, the, God, the God that I love is still faithful. Because I think, I mean, I think that's what was going on in, in Naomi's life as Ruth recognized who Yahweh was. And as you said, they, they had lived in the land. They had, Ruth had worshipped as part of their family for 10 years. And so I think probably, especially in those 10 years when the, the sons were still alive, that Naomi's life and faith laid the foundation for that so that even when the grief and the struggle came, it certainly, it certainly rocked their world, but, Mm. but that foundation was still there. I I think that's, that's a lot to learn there and Mm -hmm. a lot we could, uh, as, as the people of God thinking about how do we then reach out to others rather than, than just trying the self-preservation that, that Elimelech and Naomi attempted, Mm -hmm. but to actually, to lean into the grace of God um, and to, to know that, you know, to me, it seems kind of cheap that, that Naomi got to go look for bread yeah, and then got to just come back into the community. I mean, no one, no one really brings this out, but the fact that she just walks into the town and they're all like, Hey, it's Naomi. Naomi. Yeah. Like, and, and I would, man, I do not have that sanctified of a heart. Cause I nope. would have been like, <laughs> you walked out on us. Yeah. Like you were the fair weather friend. Yeah, this is one of those times where I wish we we could tell tone like, you know, were they were they happy to see her? Were they were they gossipy like, hey, you know, look who came back. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, certainly we've all 
had those kinds of family phone calls. Like you'll never guess who called me today or, you know, who wanted, wants to, to have a conversation or have, you know, rebuild a relationship. Um, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know what they thought when they, they, when she walked back in to the town. Um, because it just says the whole town was stirred. That could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, cause the, the Hebrew word there, um, which actually was is really funny because it looks like hum. Mm-hmm. Um, it it means to murmur, to roar, to discomfit. Yeah. Um, and so there there is a there are a lot of ways that uh, that that it really could go within. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, murmuring could go in a hundred different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Can you believe uh-huh. who showed her face today? Yeah. No, but the, but even the fact that that she could respond, "Don't call me Naomi." Like there must have been some yeah some warmth there. Yeah, and I think of the faith too that it 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 took to go back and and so something in Naomi her she she heard that the Lord had been faithful to the people in Bethlehem and something in Naomi said maybe if I go back the Lord will be still be faithful to me too and so I think she didn't let her own sin her own defecting to a different area keep her from coming back and maybe there's a word for us in there too that that we can always turn back like even even when we've broken our relationship with god which we do all the time but <laughs> even even for those who say god couldn't possibly want me i've messed it up so bad we have example after example after example in scripture naomi being one of them of of god's blessing despite the sin despite the the sojourns into the wilderness and into moab and to all these other places where we shouldn't be so all the way from the Old Testament, even even in passages that could very much be used to show God's judgment and God's harshness, we see grace in the fact that that Naomi came back and and then as you read through the rest of the story, bl- blessed her and Ruth beyond anything that they could have asked or imagined in the time. So uh, I think that's a that's a really good word and and. And I, a good encouragement to remember that the grace is there, that, that mm-hmm. and and that we need to be that community that reflects the God who is willing to take Naomi back, the the God who and the in the community of Bethlehem who was willing to take Naomi back, mm-hmm. whatever whatever we may want to try to read into the 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 text, the reality is the people of Bethlehem receive Naomi and Ruth, yeah, and and. You know, there's no indication in the text that, and then they lived in in fear for the rest of the time because people were murmuring and no one liked the the Moabite yeah. tagging along. Um, you know, that's just not in there. Yeah. Now, another side, um, uh, another thing that that you told me hit the cutting room floor had to do with Naomi's name and that passage about "Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara." Yeah, and which I, sounds like high drama. I just have to say it does. It does. Um, and we see throughout Scripture that names are so important, more so, I think, than than today. I mean, I don't know anybody who's changed their name, and yet we see that 
throughout scripture of of names being changed so that meaning matches the pur- purpose of life um, but but I was thinking about how how grief changes our identity and it changes our relationship with the world around us and it changes our relationship with God too and and Naomi very clearly felt as though God had dealt her a lousy hand and mm. had um, had robbed her of this hope and future and um, she says he the Lord has afflicted me the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me uh, earlier when she was talking with Ruth and Orpa she said you know it, it's harder for me than it is for you it's, it's more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me and so the, these losses this grief has has shaped Naomi's view of God and changed her relationship with the God who called called the people of Israel. She's feeling this quite personally. She is. Yeah, as as you would. I mean, anybody who's lost someone close, you know, I'm I'm fortunate in that I've not lost a spouse or a child, but I can't imagine the depth of grief involved in that. You're shaped by that. You're forever changed by those losses. Um, and so, so yeah, this is, this is shaking her to the core. Additionally, you know, women, their whole worth, their whole identity was wrapped up in who they were married to and who they were parenting. And so not only did she lose these beloved relationships, but her very identity and her purpose and her provision as well. So everything was shaken for her in the, in this time of loss kind of a uh, I'm thinking of uh, Bruce Almighty where you know <laughs> Bruce is as uh, Jim Carrey as Bruce is describing God as a mean kid with a magnifying glass and, yeah and yeah and, and it, I think you know it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand why Naomi could feel that way I mean I I know it it's tempting to think of God like that in far less dire circumstances but we've all had conversations with people and and experienced ourselves thinking like what did I do to you God that all these things that I care about are being taken away or none of the things that I'd hoped for are coming to pass Um, and and so yeah I think grief grief shapes us and if we I think if we're not willing to admit that then we do ourselves a disservice so is this um I'll put it this way. Is Naomi sinning in this moment? Because, I mean, okay, the, they are, Naomi and Elimelech are the ones who made the decision to abandon, uh, not Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem, and to abandon their, the promised land, mm-hmm. and to go to a land that was, that was forbidden, mm-hmm. um, and permitted their sons to marry um, and, and Naomi, if, if Elimelech was dead at that point, permitted her sons to marry Moabite women. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet she comes back with Ruth. She's being welcomed back into the community. Um, is this, I mean, I can understand why she feels the way she does. Is she over the top here? Is she bordering almost like Job where uh, Job, kind of is like hey what have I done wrong here um or is she is she allowed to have her moment and like what we see here is God are are we seeing 
sinning or are we seeing the patience of God or what are we seeing in, in this? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe a bit of all of the above, because we do have other examples in scriptures in scripture like Job um, saying, you know, where what in the world, God, why why is this happening? You know, I'm I'm broken open. We see that throughout the Psalms, too. And I'd like to think our 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 grief, our heartbreak isn't that experiencing those things and crying out against those things isn't sin. I think the sin is allowing it to break our relationship with God. I mm. think, um, you know, and we're not, we're not really told, we're told what Naomi tells others about how she perceives God. We're not really told about her relationship with God directly that how, you know, how she cries out to God or how she prays. Um, so I don't know. That's a good, a good question. Perhaps a, perhaps a better question is, do you think that Naomi would have grown out of this and become healthier were it not for the presence of Ruth in her life? Hmm. Or does, does Ruth's faithfulness provide something just as, as Naomi, as, as shallow as it might've felt at the time, Naomi's faithfulness in those 10 years of being an Israelite in Moab uh, affected Ruth. Is, is Ruth's experience of Yahweh now, now impacting Naomi? I think probably. I think you know, it, from, from what Naomi says, it, it, it sounds like perhaps if Ruth hadn't been there, she would have just laid down and died and just said, I'm done. I'm out. I'm so broken. Um, so I do, because, you know, it says when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped <laughs> urging her and they went on until they came to Bethlehem. So, so I imagine that, that in this moment, Ruth's faith, Ruth's hope, Ruth's love sustained Naomi in a way that, that may not have happened if Naomi had comp been completely on her own. Because we do know, especially in Moha Moab, and probably even in Bethlehem, had she come back without anyone, she she would have been regarded as a foreigner, as a widow, as an orphan. And there were laws to take care of, of those kind of widows, orphans, those without anything. But it still was not an easy life. And it wasn't a, you know, I didn't get the sense in my research that it was a connected life it was yeah. kind of like well you can go through the fields and get the grapes and the olives and the wheat that we left behind that's the best we can do you know yeah that that you weren't integrated into the community the way you were when you had a family unit and so i think ruth ruth's presence with her and then ultimately ruth and boaz helped to reintegrate naomi into the community in a way that wouldn't have happened had she been on her own yeah we we obviously don't get the conversations along the way but it seems like ruth is a faithful presence then in mm -hmm. the midst of the grief yeah that that then is able to shape the grief into something that like you said went from disconnected to connected yeah and that's pretty incredible when you remember that ruth is grieving too she's lost her husband yeah that's true and again, it, it would have been really easy to say, 
I mean, it was Naomi did say it. You know, it's harder for me than it is for you. It's more bitter for me than it is for you. Ruth could have come back and said, right, well, at least you had the opportunity to have kids. I didn't have any at (laughs) all. And now I don't even have that possibility. Like they could have played the grief Olympics all the way to (laughs) to the bitter end. Say, you know, it's worse for me. It's worse for you. But that wasn't. But Ruth, in her grace, in her faith, didn't do that. She she gave herself and her future up for another. And like I said in the sermon, I think sometimes I think Orpa gets painted with an unfair brush because she went back, you <laughs> Poor know, it, Orpa. um I I'd like to think that she was being faithful in her own way too in following what Naomi said in honoring what she said in realizing that her presence was a drain on Naomi. And saying, I'm going to alleviate this burden from you. And again, we don't know the conversations. We don't know. I mean, I think it's telling that Orpah didn't just leave the minute Naomi offered that option. Yeah, she does put up a little bit of fight. And and they journey, I think they journey a little bit further together. Um, I think you're right. So so I guess I just, you know, poor, poor Orpah. Um, yeah, it says, you know, that they they left the place where they'd been living and set out on the road. And then Naomi says, go back. And so they're already into this journey. So it, it'd be interesting to know what happened to make Naomi say, even after they had started out together, to make Naomi said, you know what? Never mind. Go back. This is too hard. Like, I wonder if they encountered more more struggle on the road or if just the longer Naomi thought about it, she thought, I can't do this. I can't support them. And it, and like I said, some commentators mentioned that Naomi didn't want to be accompanied in her grief. She just wanted to be by herself, didn't didn't want any companionship. And, and again, we, we can imagine all those different scenarios. I mean, who among us hasn't thought, like, just leave me by myself to, <laughs> you know, to deal with my loss on my own in big and in small things. Um, So yeah, it's a complicated thing, but when we dig and see the faithfulness of, of Ruth and ultimately of Naomi and, um, and the way that they're reconnected to community, it, it does give us a beautiful picture of who God is. And, and again, and the way that God used this faithfulness and used these relationships for not just Ruth and Naomi, but but really for salvation of the entire world, yeah. too. So much bigger than, than anything Ruth or Naomi knew at the time. I mean, they knew at the end of the story, Naomi knew that she now had a grandson. She now had a heritage. She now had um, a line that would continue. But she had no idea that it would ultimately lead to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. You know, and she didn't even really realize it would lead to King David. Right, right. Um, and so, to see the way God can use these relationships, the way that God can use these, this faithfulness, I think, helps to give us courage in those times where, where we are exhausted putting, putting other people in front of ourselves, and we are, you know, seeking something outside of ourselves to to encourage us and strengthen us and and give us 
the what we need to go on yeah that's a good passage it, it is. lots in there to to really encourage us just in everyday life whether we're dealing with you know oh shoot i feel like i burned my bridges mm-hmm. or um you know how do i deal with family situations or how do i deal with grief there's there's a lot in ruth that even just the first chapter that yeah. is instructive about how we can approach those things yeah for sure so that's a that's a good place. I would encourage everyone to read through the entire book of Ruth. It's not that long. Four or five chapters? Uh, four, I think. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating little story of faithfulness in the midst of an unfaithful time mm-hmm. that um, then prefigures um, both the, the faithfulness of David and then the faith, faithfulness of Jesus that, that we can then... Um, that we can draw strength from and that we can help to know the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah. So. Uh, they should, they should include in like in the Bible or something. Yeah. 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 Actually, I, I was just thinking, um, I know I'd read different places that it's in some ways it's odd that this book was included because it really doesn't talk about God. I mean, we know that Naomi worshiped God, but God doesn't speak. God doesn't, I mean, God really has a minor role in in the midst of this, this supporting book. character. So, the fact, and, and of course, it was included because it shows that connection to the line of David, yeah. which ultimately, of course, we know culminates in Jesus. Um, but just proof that that no detail was outside of of God's imagination. No, no, nothing is unimportant when it comes to our stories and our relationships that God uses all these things together um, to ultimately bring glory and, and honor to, to him and to Jesus. Yeah. A good word. Yeah. Good word. Um, well, next week we're going to be uh, talking about King David. And so uh, that'll be a fun little discussion because mm-hmm. that's going to be talking about uh, David's faithfulness and, and uh, so it's going to be a continuation of this theme from from Ruth in some ways, um, but seen in a different, uh, in a slightly different way. So, uh, you know, keep up with those things. So we'd enjoy. It. We'd invite you to join us for for worship if you are so, uh, if you are so moved. But if you found this episode helpful, would you leave a rating and a review and then share it so that others can discover it more easily? Uh, We want people to discover the the freedom and the the hope that is in Jesus Christ and to to really expand Christ's community in that way. And so uh, we want to do that through uh, worship, discipleship and relationship. Uh, also, click that subscribe button wherever you get you your podcast. That way, whenever new episodes drop, and and uh, they've been irregular here the past few weeks, mm-hmm. uh, whenever they drop, then you can be notified of those and and uh, listen. We really appreciate it. Until next time, however, I am Pastor James, and I'm Pastor Dina, and we hope that this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday. <laughs>